Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back, listeners. I have something very special for you today. Hopefully, you're blessed like I am with a lot of really, truly interesting people in your life. Um, you know, Julie and I have this podcast that goes everywhere, and we have our books and whatnot. And even amongst all the conversations we have with, you know, literally hundreds, and if not thousands of people per month, occasionally I come across somebody who I think is truly interesting, and that is today's special guest. And today's special guest, guys, and I'm going to brag for him before I introduce him because I'm pretty sure he won't let me do it. (laughs) So here's basically the new requirements. You have to have at least this number of, uh, you know, credits to your name before you're allowed to be on our podcast. Get ready. First of all, you had to have gone to Yale for undergraduate. You had to have graduated from Harvard to have at least uh, an MBA. No, that's not good enough anymore. You have to have served in the military, preferably the Marines, or maybe a SEAL. Oh, and we have one more requirement. You have to have actually flown F-18 fighter jets and been a pilot like Tom Cruise and Top Gun, though he flew F-16. So those are the new minimum requirements. And when I was searching around amongst all of our podcast listeners and coaching clients, there's only one person <laughs> that met those requirements, and it's Mr. Uh, it's Mr. Legrand Elabash. Legrand, welcome to the show. Legrand, are you there? Legrand, hold on. Uh, he might be muted. Might be technical problem on my end. Legrand, Tim, are you I'm there? Here. I'm okay, here. Can part, you hear Sorry, me? it's my fault. Yeah, yeah, you're great. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, every time we have a technical problem, it's 99% because I'm not clicking the right buttons, but what my go-to excuse is blaming Puerto Rico. So that was Puerto Rico right there. Exciting. We weren't allowed to talk. <laughs> hey, I've, we were I've lived to. island life before, too. And I, I'll tell you, um, in the F-18 days, more often than not, when we were troubleshooting a technical problem before takeoff on the line, um, the uh, enlisted technician mechanic working on the plane outside would usually have a smart-ass remark for us like, sir, have you tried activating the ONOFF switch? Um, and that, that's, that's solved most problems before takeoff. What, is that, what's that, what does that stand for? I have to know. On, off. <laughs> have, have, you tried, have you tried turning it off and back on again? The basic, you know. The, 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 I didn't even get that. Well, you and I had a conversation. I know it's awesome. You and I had a conversation, uh, maybe two or three coaching calls ago, where I thought it was really interesting. So much so, I actually, you got me on a bit a mental tangent, which I appreciate, and I started researching a lot of what we talked about. So, listeners, this guy literally is everything I just said. I mean, and a lot more too. Obviously, he's. Oh, by the way, he's a real estate agent. (laughs) Did I mention that? And so, by the way, LaGrand, if they wanted to send you a referral, can you tell them a little bit about where you sell real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm an agent with Handsome Properties, Inc. in Charleston, South Carolina. So I grew up here in Charleston. Uh, we have a wonderful market, super fast-growing um, city. Charleston wins number one awards all the time from you know, travel magazines, um, reader polls. 
it's a great market. We have a wonderful luxury market here, uh, both a primary home market and a second uh, home market. And so I've uh, been with Handsome Properties for a couple of years. My previous career uh, was a lot of work in development companies, did a lot of sales and marketing in those roles, but um, operating strictly as a dedicated uh, broker, I've been doing for two and a half years with, uh, with Handsome Properties. So yeah, at the end of the show, I'll give my contact info, would love referrals. It's a fast growing place. So where, whatever market you're in, you probably know or have talked to somebody who's taking a look at Charleston. If people, if you guys have never visited Charleston, I have to say it's probably one of the definitely top 10, but maybe top five most beautiful places to go in the spring. It is just shockingly yeah. beautiful. Yeah, people yeah, don't understand. You know, it's, it's, it's an East Coast place to travel and vacation to. It's not a West Coast place to travel and vacation to. Um, but, man, I have to tell you, if you guys are on the West Coast or if you're listening from Australia or Canada or just whatever, if you're anywhere near the proximity of that city, you've got to go visit. It's so amazing. And, you know, I'll tell you just in a little tangent, another thing that's really cool there is last time Julie and I were there, we went on a haunted ghost tour. <laughs> and you guys have got the craziest and the best ghost stories ever <laughs> in those old buildings. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, Charleston, it's yeah. got a, you know, we have a, a crazy uh, pirate history here, the ghost histories, all the, you know, the wars. Charleston's been in the middle of so many stories. So, yeah, it's a fascinating place. It is. So I wanted to, I mean, we, here's the thing. There's no structure. We have no questions. What I'd like to have these guys hear from you, because you're the real deal. I want them to hear from you really everything. I mean, obviously I'm fascinated with the whole fighter pilot aspect and being Marine, but that's just me and others, and they might not be. Legrand, wherever your name or wherever your name, wherever your mind goes in our conversation, just let it go and don't worry about there being any particular structure. Because generally speaking, I found when the conversations are just free-flowing, the best stuff blows out. Now, what really sure. um, what's seated in my brain is when you and I had that conversation, we were talking about, you were calling it the STEM brain, right? And you were talking about, yeah. how, well, you, you, just, you, you say what you said to me, and, and listeners, listen to what he's talking about. Because what he's talking about is basically um, how the brain operates under extreme stress and how in the military, and really, by the way, in life, there's only really one way to counteract your natural inclination to basically want to essentially go in your emotional rabbit hole and wait for clouds to pass. So, sir. Yeah. Um, so what we were, you know, what we were talking about that day is, you know, it, it was a day where it was a bit closer to uh, all of this news really unraveling and breaking. It's in, in certain weird ways, we're all getting a little bit used to it already. Um, um, although it, it is very surreal, the new world we live in. But when the whole thing started coming unglued and there was this sort of feeling of you know, visceral uh, panic and fear in the air, you and I were talking about like, well, how, you know, how are people supposed to deal with that? And, and in our industry, specifically real estate, you know, agents might be confused sometimes. Like, am, am I supposed to be you know, acting opportunistically right now? Or is that sort of uncool? Should I be more uh, offering to go do favors for people, run errands, or, you know, what is my role? What am I supposed to be doing right now? And that led to a discussion about, you know, how we behave under stress. So, you know, looking at it from the, the military perspective, and obviously my specific experience was Marine Corps and, and aviation, and it, people have all kinds of different military experiences, special operators are doing one kind of thing, and uh, you know, guys driving tanks or fighting infantry or doing another kind of thing, but but there are definitely are, are similarities uh, across the board. 
But what we were talking about is, you know, when you get loaded up under a lot of stress, panic, fear, anxiety, all of the above, um, you know, the nature of war, which is the context of what I was training for, um, you know, we study the nature of war and one of the key uh, sort of aspects of it is uncertainty. You're constantly operating in uncertainty. You can plan and plan and plan all you want. But when, when the, you know, proverbial stuff hits the fan, um, you're reduced. And that's where that word stem power came in. We kind of jokingly called it that, you know, that, that base part of your brain <laughs> that goes back to, I think you call it lizard brain or whatever, same concept, mm-hmm. you know, that, that the most base level of function, we kind of get reduced to that when we're under heavy loads of stress. And the military is very good at training to that. And so what, what I mean is, you know, when you can dream up all kinds of complicated strategies and plans and, and complicated uh, techniques for doing whatever it is you're doing, but when you are under the gun, when you are truly overwhelmed, you will basically get reduced to the lowest level of function, uh, you know, that, that you can imagine. So all of the fancy stuff sort of goes out the window and you become pretty basic at that point as, as a person in terms of your capabilities. And the idea that the military tries to instill is you have to train so much, so repetitively and, and practice so much that in that moment when you're reduced to kind of a, you know, you know, blithering idiot mode, whatever, stem brain mode, that you're actually performing at a high level. Because you've done it so much, um, it's become such second nature. And I think, you know, I think uh, athletes, uh, performance athletes, elite athletes have to do this, um, that when you're in that moment that would cause you to be reduced to a low level of function, your low level of function is actually quite high. And you can, you can, accomplish some pretty cool things. But that's, that was the gist of our conversation that day. So let's start out, and we're going we're gonna to catch back up. Okay, so mm-hmm. you were mm-hmm. a kid. You grew up in a real estate family. And mm-hmm. listeners, don't worry. We're going to go back to this topic in a second. I just want to give you get, put more color on who this guy is. So tell, walk us forward. You can kind of put it on fast forward, but just sort of show sure. us in what order you did things. And because there's not very many people, <laughs> grand, that have your kind of educational background that decide to become a Marine, let alone are able, even if they wanted to, to become an F-18 fighter pilot. And notice I didn't say yeah. F-16 fighter pilot, so you did correct me on yeah, that. Thank, so I was you. thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to invoke that Air Force rivalry thing. Um, yeah, so – I grew up in Charleston. My family was a a real estate oriented family from the get go. So I kind of grew up around it. Um, I was, I was an adventuresome kid. I kind of embraced the idea of adventure and doing different things from an early age. So when I was a teenager, I really wanted to go ask my parents uh, for this privilege to, to go to a New England boarding school. I learned about that whole option uh, from other friends and people, but uh, Went to uh, St. Paul's School in Concord, New Hampshire. Fantastic school, amazing. Some of my very best friends in the world today still from there. And then that, you know, was a springboard to going to Yale for undergrad. But um, very formative thing for me. I was always into sports um, uh, in high school. But in college, I joined the crew team. And rowing, I could go on and on. I could do a whole thing about rowing, but I, I won't drag that out, but it, I learned so much uh, from that sport and 
terms of endurance and teamwork and, and all these things that were very helpful in the Marine Corps. But, you know, I, I had a couple of internships in New York City, you know, very interesting jobs. I could have pursued investment banking, which was the hot thing to do in the late 80s. A lot of my friends went that route. They're much wealthier than me now, probably. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it just wasn't for me. I kept going to these offices and thinking, God, is this really going to be my life? I'm going to be, you know, an office guy. And not to pass judgment on that. It just wasn't for me. Um, and, and a crew teammate who'd graduated a couple years before me sent back a training video of Navy SEAL training. He had joined the SEALs. And I watched that tape in my coach's office and, I, and the light bulb went off and I thought, okay, that, that's the answer. Because that's like being on the crew team with guns and sounded really fun. Uh, so, and I just wanted the physical challenge and the camaraderie, you know, I did, I, I didn't, uh, I wanted the, the next level of challenge. Um, so fast forwarding a bit here, you know, I really wanted initially, it wasn't like I grew up, I always wanted to be a pilot. I really thought what I wanted to do was be a special operator, a SEAL or Marine recon guy. And a great friend of mine uh, talked to me into the Marine Corps versus Navy. And that led one thing to another. And then a recruiter said, Oh, you went to Yale, you know, you should be a pilot. And I, uh, no, you know, that's, I, I want to be, I want to be on the ground doing Marine Corps stuff. I don't want to, you know, be a pilot, but I changed my mind when I was, um, you know, doing training in the woods in Quantico, Virginia, and we were doing warfare exercises and practicing talking on the radio to pilots. Cause that's part of what you do is try to coordinate airstrikes from the ground. And I remember talking to this guy who was, it was my turn on the radio and there was an F-18 inbound to deliver a, a simulated bomb on a target, a practice bomb for us. And I read my little brief to him. I'm all nervous on the radio. I don't know if I'm doing it right. And, you know, this guy's going 540 miles an hour, pretty close to the ground. And he comes back over the radio and sounds like he's half asleep. I mean, he had like the, you know, the late night uh, FM radio host voice. He was like, yeah, this is nickel five five. I'm inbound, but you know, I, I'm sitting here on the ground, like you know, thinking, how can this guy be going 540 miles an hour and he's about to go upside down to do this maneuver to go, you know, do this bombing run, and how can he sound so calm? And sure enough, each they show up. He drops the bomb on the target. It hits the target. It's plus or minus five or ten seconds of when he said he'd be there, and then he peels off in the distance. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I, I want to do that. That was cool. <laughs> and so I had a complete mind shift change. You know, I'm like, I, I wanted to be the ground guy. And at that, in that moment, I was like, nope, I'm pretty glad I, I got my flight option uh, because now that's what I want to do. So, yeah, that led to nine years in the Marine Corps and then, uh, then Harvard Business School and then um, moving back to Charleston to help my uh, family at that time with real estate assets uh, they were managing. So back to the just deciding one day to become an F-18 pilot. Sorry, we're not gonna we're not gonna great we're not gonna go that fast. You know, <laughs> this was back in the era. This yeah. is back. This was back in the era of the original Top Gun, right? I mean, yeah. so this was yeah. a for those those of you guys who are the same age group as as Legrand and I are, you might remember how influential that was. But this guy yeah. actually did it. This guy actually, you know, got his he became a fighter pilot. The whole thing. What does it take? You can't just one day show up and say, okay, Bob, toss me the keys. I'm going to fly one of these bad boys. What does it take yeah. to, 
to go from a guy who was basically boots on the ground to then deciding he wants to be an F-18 fighter pilot, which at that time, what was the, that had to have been the pinnacle fighter jet in the world, no? I mean, F-18s were, F-16s, yeah. F-18s. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Yep, from a, from a Navy Marine Corps perspective, F-18 was a very comparable plane to, you know, the top um, Air Force jets of that era, which were F-16, F-15. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, they have, as you could imagine, it's quite a process. I mean, you know, you start out before you even get the option to be considered for flight training. You, you know, you have to take all kinds of psychological profile testing and medical testing and probing and whatnot just to make the first sort of round of cuts. And then, um, you know, on my officer candidate school class in the Marine Corps started out with over 200 candidates and we graduated about 100, 105, something like that. So we had about a 50% washout rate just getting through the officer training, which was sort of the officer equivalent of boot camp. And then those of us who were flight contract people, um, uh, within the Marine Corps, we, we have a thing called the basic school. I won't delve into that. It's six months where every Marine officer learns to be a, a, an infantry leader, regardless of what you're going on to do later, which, is, which was highly helpful, useful, learned a ton there then went to Pensacola for Navy flight school. That's where Marines and Navy guys get thrown in together. You're, you're, you're going through the same program. Marine pilots are Naval aviators. So we go through the program in Pensacola. You probably remember old uh, officer and a gentleman that was all sort of Pensacola stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next round of weeding out begins because that in Pensacola is when they really start putting you through uh, very intensive medical uh, uh, screening and testing. Um, it's the Naval Aviation Medical Institute, NAMI, and we used to call it the NAMI Whammy. If, you, if guys were getting dropped right and left from the, the NAMI Whammy, which was maybe they had a, a vision issue that was previously unknown that gets discovered, or maybe they're getting chronically motion sick. They had this like sick carnival ride kind of thing they put us on, you know, where they spin you round and round and do all this stuff. And certain guys would get chronically motion sick and couldn't get over it, and they'd wash them out. And then, you know, they put you in the dunker thing where you strap you into this big steel can simulating a helicopter uh, uh, fuselage, and you, you know, get dunked into a big pool and turned upside down, and you have to be able to unbuckle yourself and swim out while you're disoriented upside down in the pool. And, um, and a lot of swim testing, uh, swimming a mile in a flight suit. Um, on and on and on. So, so there's like a, people were just kind of dropping right and left. So there's a certain washout rate from that and before you ever touch an airplane. So then you get in the airplane and the next round of rigor begins, you know, and pe- you find out that certain people just don't adapt well to the, the environment of the cockpit. And, uh, and they gradually load you up with more and more stressful things to do in the plane. And then ultimately when you graduate from Pensacola is where they – siphon you off to you're either going to jets or you're going to helicopters or you're going to transports and um usually that's done at least back in the day it was done by grades they, they just however you stack up in your class you write down your preferences one two three and you know the higher the, your grades are the more likely you are to get your preferences and then you graduate to the next plane and they i'm, I'm curious you, know, you they, just they, said something yeah legrand yeah. does anybody and and you know, I'm not trying to bag on people that don't want to be fighter pilots, but does anyone who, who doesn't put number one F-18s? 
as their preference. Actually, you know what? Uh, yeah, interestingly, you know, it's not everybody's first choice. Um, my my best friend at that time, my roommate uh, in primary flight training, really wanted to be a Cobra attack helicopter pilot. He wanted to be well, that's closer cool. to the ground. <laughs> yeah, it was super cool. He wanted to be closer to the ground, closer to the grunts. You know, he, he kind of wanted to be the a- aviation world's closest thing to being a grunt. And he wanted that and he got it. And he became a, a, a Cobra attack uh, helicopter pilot. So yeah, it's not, and, and some guys are thinking longer term, like, hey, one day I want to be a, an airline pilot and I'm better off if I get a bunch of hours and therefore if I fly C-130 transports, I'm going to log mm. a bazillion hours um, in, in the next few years and that'll make me a better airline pilot candidate. But, you know, my, my average flight in F-18, you know, we take off and train and we, we might fly for 45 minutes because we'd burn through all our gas uh, doing high-performance things. And so my, I didn't log that many hours because F-18, you take off, you go in afterburner, you're burning gas at crazy rates. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't tend to log as many hours as guys in the uh, bigger planes. So, yeah, people had different you motivations I, and reasons. You, yeah. You mind if I just ask some fanboy questions that might annoy our audience, but I don't care. I'm going to ask fanboy questions. Is that cool? Okay. Yeah, okay. sure. Yeah. So, so, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm like a car nerd. I've done um, open cockpit racing. I've done stuff like that. I've raced go-karts, oh, cool. but I know none of it. I know, yeah, it is, but nothing compares to what you do or what you did. I want to know, in, if it, is it impossible to describe what it feels like going that fast or essentially doing aeronautics in an in a, a F-18? Is it, can you even describe it to a layman like me? You know, I mean, honestly, it, it, it's, uh, I think I, I've never done some of the things you've done. I mean, I've not driven, you know, the open cockpit race, uh, race cars and things like that. And, I would imagine some of that is a pretty similar feeling, really, to be honest with you. I mean, it's obviously, a, a um, you know, in aviation, you're operating in three dimensions, all three axes. You're not racing on a track on a, on, on a flat thing. So you, it, it's more multidimensional, I guess. But um, it is hard uh, to describe pulling a lot of Gs to somebody because, you know, people who drive race cars and do stuff like that do pull Gs, you know, multiples of the force of gravity, obviously is what that, what that stands for. So, you know, guys uh, and women going in race cars round and round a track are pulling Gs. Um, but in a, in a fighter plane, you might occasionally pull eight Gs, um, you know, seven, eight, nine Gs, and you might do that over and over again. And that's a, that's a very different feeling and you really can't, describe it because your body literally if i weigh 200 pounds at eight g's i weigh 1600 pounds um Hmm. that's that's a hard feeling to describe to somebody um and it's pretty physically uh challenging but you know the thing about the, the way the military works too it's not like you go from being a person who's never experienced that to all of a sudden the next day you're doing that you know you go into a First, you're flying a training plane that, where you can pull three Gs and do basic things. And then the next thing, you're flying a, a basic jet trainer and you're pulling five Gs uh, every now and then. And then you're flying an advanced jet trainer. And then you go to the F-18. So, you know, by the time you experience that particular thing the first time, you've, you've been worked up to it over like many months uh, or even a couple years worth of precursor, you know. So it doesn't happen suddenly, but it's, it's pretty amazing. Those planes, the planes are incredible. And I'm very jealous of the people now flying the new stuff because oh. I, I wish I could go back and find out what that's like. 
Yeah, do you mean the F-22s and the F-35s? Listeners, if you've never yeah. seen an F-22 yeah. or an F-35 at an air show, I mean, it is, you wouldn't yeah. believe it. I've only seen it I've only seen it once. I'm pretty sure it was an F-22. Would it have been an F-22 mm-hmm. at, an air, at an air show in Nevada or an F-35? Do you know? You could, it you could guess? have been either one, honestly. It could, it could have been yeah. either one. Um, they, they, would, they could demo. You may have seen both. And what you know, just to geek out for a second, what, what's so cool about those planes in particular, you know, uh, is the thrust vectoring thing, which means the, the mm-hmm. jet exhaust, the propulsion coming out of the rear of the plane, which in the ones I flew and all the previous types of jets was just, it just came straight out the back. I mean, there was no way to redirect that thrust. If it only had one axis, it just came straight out and you, they provided a lot of force and then you use the controls to maneuver the plane around. Well, these new generation of planes, they, they actually, the thrust on the plane can, the nozzles in the back swivel and, and you can redirect that thrust up and down so that they can, what that allows these people to do today is crazy uh, technical maneuvering, like maneuvers that would have been impossible in an F-18 or an F-16 or whatever. They're doing things. Uh, and it, so that'd it be is, really it fun. Is literally, I, I wish I could go do it, that. Yeah, well, I wish I could just go watch it. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to be in one of those planes. For me, I'm, I think I'd have one of those low barf tolerances. But listeners, you've got to go to YouTube. And, and a YouTube video is not really going to capture what Julie and I saw in the desert that day when those guys were, you know, performing. But go to YouTube and, and just put an F-22 or F-35 and watch how those guys can literally come cruising in right above the, you know, the, right on the horizon, right above the ground, and just what appears to just stop and then pivot 90 degrees and go straight up. I mean, oh, my gosh, the technology available yeah. today. You know, it's funny. It's funny. When we lived in Nevada, there was – we saw those, um, you know, those white jets with no markings on them. They would leave the uh, – what was it, Karen Air Force, Air, Air, the uh, airport, and they'd fly out to um, – what was that place where the aliens supposedly are? What's that called? Oh, yeah, um, uh, Area 51 or whatever. The, um, yeah, right. Uh, There's a, there's a skunk works, you know, where a lot of the flight technology, stealth technology stuff was developed out in Nevada. They call it the skunk works. Yep. And so just, again, since we're nerding out, you guys are just going to have to suffer if you don't like this stuff, but where Julie and I have some property there and one of the condos, we could see that the, that we lived in, we could see the white plane with no markings on it. What it did is if you worked at area 51, you basically flew out of the normal airport in these unmarked planes and the planes flew out to area 51. We'd see those flying uh, out every morning in every day. It was kind of crazy. And the reason mm-hmm. I'm bringing that up is because obviously this is where all this technology is uh, created. So people who maybe, I don't know, when would they have been developing F-35s and the vectoring and all that? Would that have been back in the nineties or even in the eighties? When you say yeah, I would I would say the '90s uh, is when that stuff. Now you never know when they really started on it. I mean, I have no idea. It could have started earlier, but you know, in the in the '90s, the F-18s that I was flying were essentially technology that had been developed in the '70s. Um, yep. You know, so I I look back at that, and I mean, the the F-18 that I flew was basically like a you know a, a vintage muscle car you know, compared to what, what uh, is out there now. So I think our flight computer in the F-18, which is, you know, we use that for controlling a radar, a weapon system, communications, all this stuff. That flight computer was far less um, powerful than the computer in my iPhone today. 
So let's pivot this back towards um, real estate because the correlations yep. between real estate and sales and sort of the lizard brain reaction to feeling like you're under stress and listeners, you were, you knew we were going to circle back to real estate. You knew that was coming, right? <laughs> but it's, so what was really fascinating about that coaching call we had is when you're describing in essence how the military, and of course this makes sense, knows that your natural tendency when under stress is going to be able to, you know, go to your lizard brain, go to your, the core, the stem brain. In other words, Guys, it's an actual physiological thing that when everyone's under stress, we're all designed to operate the same way. Um, literally, your you know, heart rate in increases, your every, everything in your body, your body's releasing chemicals that's going to cause you to go into the fight or flight mode. And under extreme examples, you literally develop tunnel vision where basically your vision just, you know, boom, it's like a tunnel. You're under, that's what your body's designed to do. All bodies, all humans are designed to operate the same way. But what's fascinating, and I, this is fascinating from you know, my perspective, having coached agents forever now, and Julie as well, and all of our coaches, is that a lot of people will hit that maximum lizard brain you know, point with virtually no external stress, just the very thought of having to pick up the phone, for example, and calling it for sale by owner. They will instantly go into lizard brain mode, or they'll start on that path. Their heart will race. Their, so... Oh, you know, we've tried to, uh, we've studied this and explained this on our show and to our coaching clients and in our books, but really guys, what this is, is a controllable or at least a malleable psychological reaction that everyone's experiencing. And what I'm hoping you're hearing is that in the military, when they're training elite athletes to become elite fighter pilots or elite soldiers, right? They know that that's a unavoidable natural mechanism that's in all of our brains, and yet they have systems, they have training that basically uh, doesn't try to train that out of people because it's impossible. It tries to show them that even when they're in that mode, they can still perform at the highest level. I think I teed that up for you perfectly. So, so how do they go yeah. about doing that? Explain that in your own, in your, you know, Marine way. Sure. Um, and definitely I want to say, Tim, that I've really appreciated you and Julie's you know, podcasts and, and coaching. And I want to dovetail that in here because um, it's very relevant to the, this concept before we even got into this coronavirus stress, before we got into this discussion about, you know, stem brain and operating, um, you know, at that base level, you guys were already preaching to everybody. Look, you have got to put into practice, um, these basic things and follow these basic steps so that you reach a level of getting onto autopilot, so to speak, so that you reach a high level mm -hmm. of mastery and it's, and it's flowing and coming naturally to you. You guys were already preaching that. So this isn't obviously new to your listeners. Um, uh, and, and it's a great validation, um, you know, for you guys and what you've been putting out there, but there's no question that, um, you know, what you practice um, will and how well you practice it, how seriously you take it, will definitely show uh, when, when the stress comes. And that's kind of what the military operates on. And, you know, thinking back to some of the really basic stuff they taught us early on, I mean, the Marine Corps, um, you know, what Marine Corps 101, what they tell you is, look, um, in the Marine Corps, we're either waging war or we're preparing for war. There is no other thing you're doing. You're, you're, you're doing one of those two things. You're either preparing for war or you're waging war. And, and that's what you do when you're preparing is obviously what tees you up to perform in that moment. 
when things are chaotic because the other thing they teach us day one is this concept of the fog of war, um, which is war is filled with uncertainty, fluidity, friction, uh, disorder, complexity. You know, nothing is going to be as you plan. It, it would, you know, it's not an excuse for not planning. We still plan and plan and we think ahead and we analyze and we train, we do all this stuff. But everybody tells you from day one, like, do all your planning and everything, but when bullets start flying and chaos ensues, you know, you're going to be operating in an environment of incomplete information, sometimes conflicting information, uh, fear, uh, danger, you know, all these things. And how you, you know, respond at that moment is what's going to define whether you're successful or not. Uh, Success in military means one thing, obviously. It's defeating the enemy, uh, you know, or, or just downright surviving in some cases. Um, and then in real estate, obviously, it's going to mean the survival of our businesses, um, the health and future of our businesses. Am I going to have revenue, you know, six months from now? Um, so, yeah, the, you know, those concepts of, you know, preparing, training, ramping up your, your base level of understanding so that when you're under stress, your, your, your brain is falling back to what you've made habit. It's really kind of behavioral therapy kind of stuff. Um, and as a quick aside, I want to plug this, this podcast that my wife and I have been loving. Allison uh, and I have really gotten into this Happiness Lab podcast by Dr. Laurie Santos. Oh, yeah, yeah, you told me yeah, about that. I, fan, I got it too. We, fantastic. I've been passing along and to other people. It is great. Yeah. It's so good. And, and you know, she teaches the most popular class in the history of Yale University. And it, she's a psychology professor. And her thing is, you know, looking to evidence-based science for, you know, um, clues as to how we can change our behavior to essentially lead us toward more happiness. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of pursuing spiritual paths uh, as well toward happiness, but there's nothing to me that's mutually exclusive about a spiritual path and a scientific-based path, and, you know, working together. And so her podcast is great for this. Um, but the idea is, you know, you, you modify your behavior to, to make it a habit, you know, certain things the Marine Corps wants you to make habitual so that, so that in those stressful times, those habits are, are serving you well and, you know, keeping you alive and helping you complete the mission rather than falling into disarray and, and uh, panic or, you know, um, in these, these times of stress, people can sometimes have a tendency to be a deer in the headlights, you know, and just freeze up and not know what to do. So um, having, having the awareness, the self-awareness or situational awareness to see that tendency in yourself and say like, wow, I think I see, I think I'm kind of freezing up here. I need to do something, you know, I need to take some action. Um, that's kind of a first step, the, the self-awareness part of it. And then, you know, being decisive, taking action and putting one foot in front of the other, just sort of um, sometimes it's just as basic as that. Most people spend their entire lives going from comfort to comfort. They never want to make themselves uncomfortable. They never want to feel stress. They, it's been normalized to essentially live that way. We're all sort of in the spoiled, entitled, dare I say, blessed era 
where really you can mm-hmm. live a very nice lifestyle and get away with not really working that much, you know, and truthfully, especially right now, look at all the handouts that are pouring out of the government. Right or wrong, I'm not judging, I'm not being political. It is what it is, and they're gonna, it's going to keep flowing. And so you're going to see this next generation of people that are going to you know, maybe have universal basic income as a thing. The problem with that, guys, the problem with the approach that so many real estate people, people in general take, is they never get to the point where they know they can move past that natural tendency to want to just bury yourself in the lizard brain. That's what happens. And so, you know, LeGrand, look at this guy's done. I'm going to brag on you again, right? Yale wasn't easy. easy. He got there. Harvard wasn't easy. You know, I was actually going to ask you, I'll ask you, what's, what was harder, uh, getting a, um, a master's at Harvard or becoming an F-18 pilot? <laughs> um, you, well, you know, Harvard Business School loves to accept um, people with military experience, honestly, because the military prepares you so, so well for business and for, for the, the program. Um, there's no question, I think, that, you know, it, business school was challenging. It was, it was great. Uh, I made some fantastic friends there. I'd learned a ton. I was really sad that it ended after only two years. I wish business school had been a three or four year program because I couldn't get enough of it. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, no, the physical, stressful, mental things you got to do to get through either a, a, a pilot or a special operator type program in the military. I mean, that's, it's hard to beat that in terms of stress and difficulty uh, over the long haul. Although it's also punctuated with times of, times of boredom. You know, there's uh, the thing about the military, a lot of people don't understand, you know, we watch movies where, whether it's Top Gun or, or um, you know, movies about SEALs, things like that. The movies are all about the moments of excitement and the moments of thrill and, and nail biting, you know, terror. Um, but lots of military life is spent in the time in between, and it can be long protracted periods of boredom and preparedness uh, training. And, and that can be a real challenge. Uh, it's something that, uh, you know, I think you read SEALs comment on this sometimes. I mean, you're out on a boat floating around, floating around, you know, waiting for the phone call to go do their thing. And um, pilots often will go out on deployment, fly off of an aircraft carrier, and just circle and circle and circle in holding patterns, um, refilling on aerial refueling, you know, tankers and just waiting uh, for the call. And, and then, you know, the call doesn't come, you go land and wait for the next day and on and on and on. And then in that moment, when you do get the call and you're asked to, you know, the SEALs, for example, who had to go get bin Laden or, or the, um, you know, pilots who get called out of a holding pattern to go attack a target or, or go engage it an airborne threat, that moment comes often after long periods of waiting. And during the waiting, you can get complacent and you can get, um, you know, and I'm saying this because I think this is relevant to real estate too. It is relevant. You can get I know com- what you're saying. It you makes can get, perfect you, sense. Yeah, you, you can get complacent in the waiting and in the quiet or the downtime. And when the moment comes that you're supposed to go do something, and actually do the thing you've trained for, you have to be ready to snap into that mode and go do it, you know, immediately and do it at the highest level. Um, and so that's, that's what you don't see a lot of times in the movies and the stories is the long drawn out wait before the action happens. And see, this is where we're at right now in, in real estate, in the economy on a whole. And Julie and I have been 
talking endlessly on our podcast. And it is funny. You and I were having the conversation that you were referencing. It was even before Julie's birthday. So this officially became a crisis in the United States on March 12th, Julie's birthday. But you and I had been talking about it before that. That's how long I'd been on our radars. And it was fascinating. And it is fascinating to watch how people different, you know, people were hoarding toilet paper. That's, you know, those are just the sort of lizard brain reactions that people have to being under stress. You don't know how people are going to operate. And what this should be this time, mm-hmm. I, I, hope every, I hope everyone's taking this as a cathartic moment. In other words, self-discovery moment, knowing essentially how you're going to operate if the zombies ever do come over the ridge. Because the zombies are coming over the ridge now for sure. And they're probably going to be coming over the ridge for quite a while, like potentially years. And what many of you are doing, and you're making an enormous mistake, is you're, you're essentially assuming that everything – that worked to generate you leads in business and a seller's market, a, yeah, a distinct seller's market, where you just focused on buyers. You didn't have to know how to price houses correctly. You didn't know how to have tough conversations with sellers. You didn't know how, have to know how to solve multiple problems for sellers. There were no, just all the things you have to know in a transitioning market like this, or even a buyer's market like this will become. No, virtually all of you listening have no clue what I'm talking about. You've never done it before. You've never developed the skills. And so what I'm fearful, and I know this is happening, I can read on Facebook, all of you guys who are emailing and texting, what, it, this is the reason I wanted to have him on. A, it was a nice break, right? But B, it was because I wanted you guys to understand there is a path forward for you, but you're going to have to push past your fear. You can't just push past your fear, generally speaking, by saying I'm going to push past my fear. You do it through following a proven path and then practice and then taking action. He didn't spend all of his time in the classroom learning how to fly a jet. They basically, obviously, classroom time after they tested him, said this guy, can, you know, he's worthy of us investing money and time in. And then after that, he practiced when he was behind the yoke. That's how you learn. You don't just wait around and get ready to get started and practice your scripts and role play and have role play partners and accountability partners. You get on the phone. You do the real work. You fail forward. That's how you learn. And unlike flying an F-18, you're probably not going to crash and die. Right. Right. So that's that's the good news about our business is it's not life threatening if we don't uh, if we don't perform, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the point, though, Grand. And and this is the conversation you and I had. Right. So the psychological Mm -hmm. effect of feeling the fear of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do at the highest level, the chemical release, the endorphins, how we emotionally feel when faced with psychological stress. It's the exact same, basically, the same mechanisms and the same things happen as if we were basically under physical stress. And people don't realize that. So our brains don't mm-hmm. know how to, like, you know, level off the level of intensity of fear. If you were, if I were to call any of you guys right now and I were to say, let's call an expired, many of you would react the exact same way if you and I were going on a walk and we saw a tiger at the other end of the street. Your feeling, your emotions, <laughs> your reactions would be the exact same thing. Well, I mean, yeah. LeGrand, how yeah. do we, you're, you know what I'm saying because you've basically done the yeah. training. You've done the work. So you've experienced mm-hmm. having that fear and pushing your way through it. I have a feeling you have an mm-hmm. elegant way of describing this to help the listeners understand maybe from your background. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love the uh, tiger analogy. Uh, speaking of which, we're watching Tiger King right now as an aside at night in our downtime, and it's complete insanity. Of course you are. Um, so, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So anyway um, – you know, the, I, I mentioned situational awareness earlier, and I think that's something maybe to bring up that's relevant to this and what's going on. And, um, and, and talking about, you know, the STEM power thing and, um, 
you know, the the F-18 is a, is a really forgiving plane. And by that, I mean it's for someone who knows how to fly and has been trained to fly it, F-18s aren't famous for just having crazy failures that kill pilots. It's a pretty pretty good plane to fly, reliable plane, you know, redundant systems, all those things. So guys, when I was in, we, you know, routinely had training accidents where someone got killed in peacetime. Um, you know, not 90 something percent of the time um, in the F-18 community, other planes could have been more different, but in the F-18 community, 90 something percent of the time, someone got killed in training, it was pilot error. Um, and if you drill down on those accidents and what happened, why did this perfectly good, qualified, well-trained, you know, great guy um, get killed in that accident? And it was usually from some kind of myopic uh, focus in a moment of stress. And by that, I mean someone's training, doing these things. You know, you're alone in the cockpit. You're flying around. Um, doing this high-performance stuff. You're, we call it your bucket gets full. That's another way of saying you're on stem power. You know, the bucket is full, or OBE, which stood for overwhelmed by events. So, you know, this was so common to us, we had multiple ways of saying it, right? Stem power, OBE, bucket is full. You know, so we talk about this stuff a lot in, in the aviation community, but someone would be would have their bucket full, might be trying to focus on their radar to acquire a target or their weapon system or whatever it is. And at the expense of all other things, they should also be paying attention to simultaneously and, you know, drive into a mountain or accidentally fly their plane into the water um, uh, or fly into another airplane that they should have seen or known was there. Um, this is how people die in peacetime in aviation. And so how does that pertain to us, you know, in real estate and, the point is, we're all feeling stressed right now. I think anybody who, who says they're not is probably lying. Um, everybody is under stress. We're all a little afraid. We're all wondering what's going to happen. I loved Brad Inman's comments on your show a couple of episodes ago, you know, about if someone says they know where this is all going, it's be, they're BSing. Uh, nobody knows. We're all in the same boat here. Um, and so knowing we're all stressed, you know, follow the aviation rule of thumb, uh, aviate, navigate, communicate. That was sort of religiously pounded into our heads. And that's sort of an order of priorities. And what it meant was, that's another way of saying whatever you do, don't forget to fly your darn plane. Because if you get too obsessed with some other task, some other extraneous distracting thing, you know, you might forget to do the basic thing of flying your plane. And then that might wind up with you flying it into a mountain or flying it into the ground or whatever. Um, and, you know, I went to a memorial service at least once every year that I was in the Marine Corps um, for, for somebody who I knew who had died in training. And these weren't people in combat. This is just flying around, you know, doing our normal stuff. And so each story was heartbreaking, you know, and you see the family getting presented the flag and it, it's, uh, and it could have been, and all of us watched that and go, wow, that could have been me. You know, I had close calls. We all had close calls, but the lesson to pull from it is don't get hyper focused and obsessed on something distracting that could cause you to not be doing what's really important. 
And so hmm. what might that look like that's right awesome now? That's awesome right there. Dude, you that's know, awesome. Right. Yeah, so what does that look like today? Um, if, you get caught, if you get stuck watching the news and you get caught in that vortex and, and snap out of it and realize you just watched the news for a whole hour straight, like that's during that hour you were not doing a bunch of other things that might have been more important. And, you know, I'm not saying don't, don't watch the news, don't be aware of what's going on in the world. We should all be knowledgeable. We should, but news is delivered in such small bites now. You can watch the news for a couple of minutes and get the point. Or you can look at it online and get it real quick. And, you know, don't get sucked down rabbit holes that, that cause you to be the pilot that drives your plane into the mountain, you know? Well, I mean, you know, if you want to expand upon that, because that's I'm totally going to use that what you just said that story. You you've told me like four really good stories on this podcast. By the way, we're way over half hour. Are you okay with that, Legrand? I know you're trapped in yeah, your house, I'm, so you I'm can't good. go anywhere. I figured. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I love it. I'm able to get all kinds of cool people on the podcast, and I know they don't have any excuses for not being on because they literally can't leave their houses. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> right. But what you're talking about, the pretty shiny object thing or the distraction thing, that's been the whole industry since really 2008. There's there's a whole generation of agents that have just come up believing that you have to, you know, when you're, you only, you have to build a big team, you have to buy buyer leads, you have to focus on your branding, you have to focus on Instagram, and now it's TikTok and all this insanity. And, and then, mm-hmm. the, you know, you mentioned Brad, and I love Brad. He's, he's like a long-term, he's like, he's like a big brother to me, basically. I don't know if he knows I think of him that way, but that's how I feel about him. But a lot of what he's been pushing on his platform and his events it hasn't been what's really ultimately been in the best interest of real estate agents. It's a bunch of gimmicky tech stuff. I mean, most of it doesn't mm-hmm. mean a hill of beans. And look how all of it's going to go. Just snap your fingers and it's going to be gone. And so what's happened is we've raised this whole generation of agents, really the past decade, that have never been combat trained. They have never been conditioned for a market like this. They have no clue what it's going to take not just to survive and thrive. And when I'm And I see the same people that have been, um, you know, perpetuating the bullshit for the past decade, now telling agents everything's going to be normal after the, you know, the, the virus is in our rearview mirror, which it won't be because we're forever changing every aspect of how commerce is done. You know, the, every aspect of the economy is going to change. Every aspect of how money is being, uh, you know, essentially the currency now is absolutely positively going to devalue and we're going to see massive inflation and we're going to see hyperinflation. We're going to see all these horrible things that people don't even know what those words mean. And Julie and I talked about it a little bit on our podcast and told you other things you can go and listen to. How soon? Who knows? But the reality of it is, yeah. is everything's changed. The virus, the, 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 the medicine is, is potentially going to do more harm to our economy than the actual virus did. And that's something that mm-hmm. people are just now starting to realize. A lot of people are saying bailouts. Oh, it's the greatest thing ever. Everyone's, you know, agents are going to get unemployment. I can't even wrap my mind around that. There's going to be 12 month mortgage forbearances, forbearances on everything. So listeners, how does that bell ever get unrung, right? Once people have gotten used to getting that, how does that ever, how do you take that away? You, you can't. So th- we've changed society and we haven't changed society for the better. You're seeing for the first time in American history. Now, this has happened in history before, but not American history. You're seeing private takeover of, of, of uh, I'm sorry, public takeover of private assets. These bailouts that are happening, the bailouts are happening 
because the government is demanding board seats on those different companies. You know, Julie and I own rental properties. Now we're being told we can't foreclose. I mean, all these types of things that are happening are, could only happen during a pandemic, could only happen during something like what's happening, but it doesn't unhappen once it happens. And really what, truthfully, what's got me up, I couldn't sleep last night because I've been studying this almost too much, is everyone celebrating the two, celebrating the $2 trillion that the Fed just put into the economy, celebrating like it's a, like, let's throw up some fireworks. A, that's no reason to celebrate. That's just, you know, essentially a lifeline to something that's obviously needs a lifeline. But B, it wasn't just $2 trillion. The Fed, if you guys read, they literally have said that, and it was on 60 Minutes two Sundays ago, they said there was no limit to the amount of money we're going to inject into the economy. So the original, you know, $2 trillion was what people talk about. That's the headline. But the real number is around 6 to $10 trillion. The total, total GDP of the United States is $22 trillion in 2019. So the Fed has already committed to basically injecting something like half and you're the NBA here, guy. I mean, you know, you, you maybe yeah. can explain this better than I can, monetary, modern monetary theory. And, I, you know, I don't want to bore people to death. But the moral of the story here, guys, is that everything that you have taken to believe is normal about uh, work, life, money, all of it's going to be in flux. Nothing's going to be the same. And if you're a real estate agent, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what the heck is Tim talking about? This sounds very stressful. It is. But it is unless you know what to do. And it is unless you know how to compete in this market. It is unless you're willing – if you're not willing to give up some of the fanciful notions of this past seller's market, you're not going to survive. And th- what I'm fearful of for most of you is you're not going to be able to make it in real estate. 90 days, you won't have any money coming in. Your unemployment might be ebbing. And then you're, what are you going to do? Think you're going to go out and get a job? Nobody's going to be hiring. This is the time – this is a, an unbelievably scary, weird time in history – that all of us are going to remember forever and they're going to be studying and all the, you know, business books and there's whatever a hundred years from now, we're going to look back upon this as the, as the, one of the greatest sea changes in our society, in our culture. Um, and people don't yeah. understand that. And yeah, I mean, what do you think? Unpre- we're living through an unprecedented time. I mean, it's uh, none of us have an analog for this. None of us can look back and say, Oh, well, this is just like when I went through such and such. Uh, because none of us have lived through this before. So we're all kind of learning this in real time. And I, I can't wait to see the, the business school cases and books and whatever that are written about all this in the future and the, the ethics classes. And uh, I mean, this is going to impact every field of study in terms of giving people things to talk about forever and ever and uh, how it's going to change our industry, how it's going to change uh, business in general. Um, but again, it can be overwhelming to try to take it all in, to try to understand where it's all going. And in fact, you know, it is, we're operating in a time of uncertainty, just like we talked about in the beginning of the show, you know, and in a time of uncertainty, um, you can get frozen. Um, I think uh, (laughs) this is a funny phrase that Dr. Lori Santos used in the happiness lab podcast the other day. She said she found herself panic scrolling. That's a great phrase, you know, yeah, panic scrolling. You just, you just there. You are looking at Instagram or whatever, Facebook, whatever feed, and just scrolling through like you're hoping you're going to find something uh, uplifting in there. And half of it is not uplifting. All these scary, unprecedented things are happening. And um, but then every now and then you come across something 
that truly is uplifting. You know, the Italians on their balconies singing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a public square and the things, the videos like that, that are kind of show the human side of all this. And I think um, something else that Brad Inman said that stuck with me in that show, um, he was talking about uh, a woman who's a friend of his who had gone through an unspeakable tragedy uh, in not too distant past. And, and when he was speaking with her and the way she'd handled it, was instead of getting absorbed and down and woe is me and wallowing in the tragedy of it all, she, her advice to him was you've got to get out of yourself. If you can go help somebody else, if you can be of service and, and help someone else in a, in a time where you feel, you know, uh, that you're in the midst of a tragedy of your own, um, it, it actually, not only are you helping somebody else, you're, you're kind of healing yourself. And I think that's a good, um, I think that was a great takeaway from, from him. A good reminder from him is that, you know, sometimes when in doubt, like I, you know, a lot of us as agents right now, like, what do I do? I mean, yeah, I'm still showing property. I went and showed property by FaceTime the other day to a couple who um, made an offer. I'm waiting to hear back this afternoon if our offer is going to be how our negotiations going, but you know, they made an offer on a house, that they looked at only by me walking through with them on FaceTime. You know, there, there's still things happening, but then there are other times in the day where we think, well, what am I supposed to be doing exactly? And I think that when in doubt, trying to be of service in some way, shape or form. And ultimately that's what our business is, right? I mean, we are, it's an honor to serve people. Um, you know, we, we are servants of our clients in real estate. And what can I do today to help my clients? And if, if the only thing I can come up with is just give them a phone call and check in on them and be a human connection for them, because I know they're stressed too, then great. Uh, and I, I think that kind of going back to that basic, I mean, you, you and I talked about this the other day, just the basics of picking up the phone and calling somebody and being that connection today. Um, I've had numerous clients who I've talked with over the past week tell me, you know, I really appreciated the call. I just really appreciate you calling. And, you know, most of those calls, we didn't accomplish big business. I didn't get a new listing on that particular call. I didn't, you know, nothing monumental happened to my business, but I made a human connection with somebody who's in my circle of influence. And um, we, uh, you know, it was much appreciated. You know, someone, and, and that appreciation was expressed. Thank you for calling me. I mean, that's just a simple thing, and that's something we can all fall back on right now. Well, that disengages the ego, right? When you're focusing on being of service yeah. to other people, and by the way, guys, we were talking before about the, the fear that you feel, the psychological fear versus real fear. Real, real fear is that tiger down on the end of the road. Psychological fear is essentially your body's sort of you know, reaction to the, percep- the perception of some external thing that's going to cause them pain, and the example I gave you was the FISBO. Well, the only way to really ultimately unplug that or at least be on the path to unplugging that and being in control of it, having it be an option as to whether you choose to feel that way or not, is to really focus on the other person. And that, that, is the, that is the chess game you have to play with yourself. So if you're thinking about put yourself back in that place where you're going to call it for sale by owner and you're terrorized to do it for all kinds of you know, unknown reasons, but let's say you've got some training. Let's say you know what to say. Let's say you've, you've got a script in front of you. Let's say you have a moderate level of comfort that you can handle yourself in that combative, potentially stressful situation. Let's just say that's you. Now, by the way, very few FISBOs are 
competitive or, or, you know, they're nice, normal people, especially in a market like this, they all need your help. If you were to pick up that, if you're thinking about picking up that phone, your chances are you're still starting to feel, feel those stress reactions. Now, do this, guys. Think, my job is to help that person. How can I be of service to you? How can I be of service to you? That's, if that becomes the dominant thought, you can use that thought to beat down the stress thought. And what happens then is magically you start operating outside of that lizard brain, out of your stem cell, right? You start becoming the person that you knew you could be. And that person on the other end of the phone can smell it too. They know you're there to help them. They don't feel your stress. They don't hear your, you know, your racing voice and your higher pitch, your, all that. They, are, they all of a sudden are receiving what you're saying as somebody who's trying to help them. That's what he's describing. That's what we teach you guys in coaching. Um, and that's how we have to get all of you to push past your, ir- you know, frankly, your irrational psychological fear of doing the real work in real estate. And you have to absolutely accept that pretty much everything that you thought that you were supposed to do in real estate in the past decade was pretty much, it didn't really work then. The reason you think all that gimmicky stuff worked is because houses were selling themselves. And when you have the buoyancy of rising prices and cash flow from houses selling themselves, you have the you create this uh, this fantasy world where you think they're selling because of your branding or your website or your Mickey Mouse. You don't really know how to quantify whether someone was working something was working or not. Thus, the emergence of all these charlatans and these snake oil salesmen who are selling you all the stuff that was just silliness. Watch how all of them are going to go away this year. And what's going to happen? A lot of agents are going to go away too because they're not going to take the time to actually learn how to not just survive but thrive in this new market. The fact is, is historically, there's more I – mean, some people are going to find this offensive, but such is the way. There are more millionaires and billionaires made in a changing market. There's more wealth created in a changing market than there is in a, any kind of normal market. So here's what I want you guys all – here's what I want you guys all to focus on. That was Julie walking into my podcast room. Here's what I want all of you guys to focus on. If given a choice between struggling needlessly for the next year or two, if given a choice between struggling or giving the choice between working through some temporary pain of learning to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do at the highest level, which would you choose? Temporary discomfort for long-term growth, or would you basically just still like to hold on to this false reality that the market's going to return? Because it never will. It never is going to return like it was. You can be guaranteed of that fact. That. Yes, you can't expect anyone to truly have a 20, you know, 2020 vision of the future, but you can get pretty close under those types of parameters. So I have a question for you, Legrand. Why did you hire us to be your, your coach? I mean, you are, by all stretch of the imagination, a badass. Why did you hire us? You know, I, I realized that I needed to do better. I needed to do more. You know, all this stuff, I mean, and you've been very complimentary, and I really appreciate it. I mean, you know, all of my great education, all of this time in the Marine Corps, everything else. Um, you know, when I, and I had a lot of professional time in real estate companies, uh, development companies, developing neighborhoods, working on resort development in the Caribbean. I've done all these things in real estate. But when I really put myself to being a dedicated real estate broker in, you know, where that's how I'm going to make my living, I realized that, a lot of the things I learned weren't necessarily uh, enough for me to succeed at, at real estate sales. And naively, I think 
I figured because of all my background and contacts and everything else, a certain amount of business would just find me. And, you know, you know, the old expression, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Um, I, some business did find me, but I got frustrated when I realized like I need to do better at making my business happen. I need to do better at building my pipeline. And I started listening to podcasts and trying to find, you know, ways. I mean, certainly I've, got a lot of great advice from my broker in charge, Debbie Fisher. She's been fantastic. And I was looking for advice and coaching any, anywhere else too, just to try to build my um, skills. And that's when I came across you guys' podcast. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to call them up. And I, I need behavioral change. I know I need to do better. And I need to do better at the things that I'm not wanting to do, just like you're always, you know, preaching. And so um I, your podcast resonated with me. The things you guys were teaching uh, resonated with me. And uh, as soon as you and I had our first introductory call, I realized that you were going to have good medicine for me. And good medicine isn't always pleasant, right? I mean, the first couple of calls were kind of a wake-up call. It's like, hey, what are you doing? You know, why are you not picking up the phone and calling these people that you've built contacts with over the months and years? And that, that forced me to do some self-examination. And, you know, I don't know, why am I not doing it? Um, good question. And so, yeah, it's been fantastic. And it's really been a boost and a change in my business. Uh, I haven't, been, haven't known you for very long, but you've already had a positive impact uh, on my business. I'm seeing that and, you know, glad to get to know you guys. Looking forward to more, many more months and years ahead of listening to the podcast and chatting with you guys. You'll be a great long-term client, I can tell. That's the reason I wanted you as a client when I interviewed you, frankly, because <laughs> you have uh, all the characteristics of somebody that can be amazing. So I, you you just brought this up, and I'm sure all the podcast listeners are going, I know, you know, you, you put, just remember you created this moment of stress for yourself, my friend. So why were all right. you picking up the phone? Why were you knew I was going to ask, you know? Oh yeah, no, dragging all I, that from those previous coaching calls. Why weren't you doing the work? Yeah, you know. If I'm really honest and I look at it, I mean, you have to be honest. And, and by the way, this, you know, I'm going to keep tying in Marine Corps lessons wherever I can. Uh, you know, Marine Corps has a whole list of leadership principles that they hammer into your head, uh, you know, when you join. If you read them, you can go online and look them up. Just Google, Google Marine Corps leadership principles. Um, the first one on the list is know yourself and seek self-improvement. That's the number one leadership principle they preach to you. And then there's a whole list of however many it is, 11 or 12 more after that. But know yourself and seek self-improvement is the first one. So, you know, we got into that discussion and I thought, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm like, why am I not? It seems so simple, like pick up the phone and call. What's so hard about that? But I think what is hard about it is like, it's an ego thing. You know, you don't want to be – I kept – coming up with excuses. I'd be like, no, I don't want to call up people and bug them. I don't want to be a pushy sales guy. I don't want to be the um, seen that way. You know, I don't want people thinking, oh God, here's LeGrand calling again. You know, what's he trying to sell me today? Um, I just had, I had the wrong, I had the wrong mindset about it. And, and I was letting my ego and my own pride get in the way of doing what I needed to do, grow my business. And as soon as I got over that and went into that first week where you gave me the assignment and said, okay, I want you to call however many it was, 30, you know, talk to 30 people um, in the course of a week. I mean, I, that, those first 30 calls I made, 
I generated some very serious potential business. I mean, it, it was like magic, but it's not magic. It's the basics. That's the whole point. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was an ego hurdle and just me having my own misconceptions about like, oh, you know, here I am, an MBA, you know, from Harvard. Am I really going to pick up the phone to start cold calling people and calling? Is that, you know, it, it, I, I, that was the wrong attitude. I, ha I had a wrong attitude about it. It took a reversal and then that's a, you know, a behavioral change and a habit change. Well, you know, everyone has that, right? Everyone has that. Yeah thing that yeah it's a common conversation and it's easy to it, it the nice thing about that Legrand and everyone listening is once you push through it it's going to try to sneak in to your life again by the way that's just ego mm -hmm. but once you keep on and the way to you know slay the ego in that particular example is just to remind yourself that you're here to be of service to other people and guys mm -hmm. you have to call yourself salespeople. you are salespeople. you're not whatever your business card says unless it says salesperson and the very reason that you're unwilling to do the real work of real estate and the very reason that you're not making more money by helping more people is because you're not acknowledging that you're a salesperson. They expect you to be a salesperson, but what does that mean? A salesperson is a problem solver. That's all it is at the end of the day. But look at all this head junk you guys have. You have head junk about calling the, and worrying about how people are going to perceive you. You have all this head junk that you tell yourself about doing the real work of real estate. And some of you, most of you, have head junk about building wealth, about being rich where your money works for you and you no longer work for your money, and you're wondering why you're still poor. You're still poor and will always be poor because you're not willing to do the real work and because you have head junk about what it means to be rich. Those two things right there. We talk about this on our podcast endlessly. We talk about this in our book, Harris Rules. We talk about this all the time because those two little things, when you can move past that and you realize that, frankly, this industry is the greatest blessing there possibly could be to anybody who has any kind of drive and is willing to do the real work and learn how to help people, in a, especially in a changing market like this, when you can just accept that that's your, that is your moral imperative, you absolutely positively have to look at the business that way. and Stop looking at it as a creative outlet. You know, that's, I said this yesterday on another interview. It's so true. Anything that involves creativity right now, just stop, okay? Do not look at this as a, this, you know, you're not at home and you're sequestered and, you know, worrying and wondering what to do. Do not be spending all your time doing TikTok videos and do not be spending all your time doing all this <laughs> Mickey Mouse, you know. Look, if your job is to help people and if you're a professional salesperson, then your job is to help per, uh, people because you're a professional salesperson. Get on the phone. Know what to say. Know what to do. Um, and, and, guys, what comes after that is not what you think. It does not – look, if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to learn the skills, does not matter what the interest rates will do, does not matter what the economy will do, does not matter what the president is, does not matter it, – it does not matter. You will succeed. Again, because the greatest fortunes in the history of man have always been made during the greatest times of change. I don't know about you guys, but this is one of the greatest times of change that I hope I ever have to experience, right? We're in it right yeah. now. Yeah. So this is your opportunity to – yeah, I can, I can hear the motivation coming out of your voice. What are you thinking? No, I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's uh, all hands on deck, red alert. I mean, this is the biggest time of change any of us have have seen i mean if, if if anyone hasn't figured that out yet that's uh you know it's time to to see that i mean so we it, really are it's at war. scary i mean it's honestly. exciting i mean it 
Yeah, yeah. War, war is a good analogy for, you know, there's a lot of healthy analogies in, in the idea of war for what we're going through, because it really, it is, it's sort of this, you know, invisible enemy, but it, it, it really um, highlights how equal we all are, because this thing is striking down famous people, rich people, poor people, educated people, uneducated people, you know, it doesn't, the virus doesn't discriminate, and the, the lockdown doesn't discriminate. Um, you know, some people are in much more posh lockdown situations than others. Um, that's a different, different story. But the the situation doesn't uh, discriminate. We're all in it, and it is going to be life changing. It'll be very interesting, you know, to see just what aspects of life change forever after this. And who knows? It's all yeah. going to. We're going to. You know. It's not all going to be bad. It's not going to be all bad. I mean, no. there's going to be some certain. Exactly. You know. Yeah, it's it's some of it's going to be yep. wonderful. Julie and I we're we're running a I don't know if you saw this on our private members Facebook page, where we were asking them what positive things are coming and will come as a result of this whole you know thing, and some of the answers are brilliant. You know, we're going to start sharing some of those on our normal daily podcast, but some of the things that people are saying are so inspirational, just things you wouldn't even have thought of before. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start hanging my hat on the optimistic outcome opposed to some sort yeah. of, you know, dystopian future where we're all walking around with, you know, big grizzly bears and trying to defend ourselves against the zombies, you know, I'm kind of, <laughs> right. there's no future there. Yeah. So that's not fun. That's not a very comforting. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to be like a help us sleep at night type thing to ruminate on. Yeah. We might as well embrace the optimistic things because the other side is kind of dark. But first things first, everyone's got to get their financial house in order. Julie and I created a three-part ultimate agent survival guide. We've been talking about this on the podcast endlessly. You guys have got to get this. And what it is is the three parts. The first part's called personal. The second one's called protect. And the third part's called profit. You have to be focused on those three parts. And what we're trying to do is walk all of you through. And you can share this report with your centers of influence and past clients, your friends, your family, anyone you know, love, and care about because it's relevant to everybody. So first thing, we're kind of walking you through how what you should be doing right now to financially protect yourself, because that's the front lines, your own checkbook. Number two, we're going to tell you basically the things you're supposed to be doing now to start making money, getting cash flowing. And I'll tell you a little, it should be obvious, not so big of a secret secret, do not count on the government to have your back. You know, what was it, Ronald Reagan that said the scariest noise you can hear is a knock on your door, followed by opening the door and hearing someone saying, I'm here from the government, I'm here to help. I mean, you guys have to realize that at the end of the day, you have to have your own backs. You have to protect yourself. You're going to have to be – you have to learn to do the work that you have been avoiding learning how to do because you've come up in this fantasy world of this past 10 years thinking that you could basically buy your way into business. And you can't anymore. Those days are over. The buying buyer leads, you know, that's over. The iBuyers, who knows if those guys will ever come back. All this other fanciful stuff. It's going to go away and never going to come back again. And the only people that are going to be left standing are the people with the skill set. You guys have time. Look, you're going to be locked down for at least another month, two months, maybe really, who knows. You might as well really decide to buckle down and master the skill sets necessary for you to one day maybe wake up and find yourself flying an F-18. How about that for a wrap-up? <laughs> so, LeGrand, yeah. if, if, they want, if they want to get hold of you and send you a referral, how can they communicate with you? All right. Love to hear from people. Again, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, most beautiful city in the country, and uh, many consider even one of the most beautiful in the world. And my email address is legrand, L-E-G-R-A-N-D, at 
handsomeproperties.com, H-A-N-D-S-O-M-E properties.com. My cell phone is 843-810-6450. And uh, love to connect with people from all over. So like you said, we're all locked down. So feel free to shoot me a text or, or an email or call or whatever. And um, happy to help anybody looking at Charleston. So listeners, stay attached, stay close, stay healthy. And LeGrand, hoorah. Hoorah. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate it. My honor my pleasure. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time... Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.